0: Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management.
1: I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar.
0: That's the gist.
1: Okay, welcome back to the Mental Models Podcast. We have a forthcoming book entitled Understanding Behavioral Biases, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making which is all about some of these biases that can undermine your performance and the uh, basis for those within our brains and how it impacts our lives. Today we are doing part two of process tips. We've gotten several questions for us to address from listeners and among those are, how do you directly go about uh, mapping out an investment possibility? What are some good practices that help you to avoid biases in the process? In a previous episode, we had covered the idea of where do you find investments, idea generation, or idea sourcing. And now, after you've found those uh, sourced ideas, where do you begin to really figure out you know, what are some things that are going to help this be successful? So, this one is idea vetting.
0: Yeah, so idea vetting is really important because it's a very significant mitigator of time loss. A lot of times you're going to turn over a lot of different stones and you're only going to find gems very rarely. And the more efficient you are at moving through various potential investment ideas and discarding those that are going to be problematic, the more likely that you'll eventually get to that diamond that's under one of those stones
1: and this right away gets us into the endowment effect which is a bias we've talked about a number of times the longer you sit with a position and ponder it the more attached you tend to become to it so it's important to be able to weed out an unpromising investment opportunity before you start to get overly focused upon it
0: yeah so the winnowing process is usually best served by starting with an individual idea and then applying a checklist so Usually, you want to think about things that would preclude investment and go tick through each item of the checklist to see whether you should not continue to pursue this particular idea. So some examples of a few things that may be on the checklist would be things like liquidity. If you don't have enough stock that's traded on a daily basis that you feel like you can adequately exit and enter uh, the position... Then that may keep you from wanting to invest. Leverage can be another sticking point. So if you have too much debt that is associated with a particular entity or a particular investment idea, then you know perhaps you want to pass at a certain level. you know perhaps it's three times EBITDA or something greater. it may be very specifically delineated based off of the industry that it's in in some industries, a higher degree of debt may be appropriate than others. Interest coverage can be another preclusive element that you may consider. And of course, these checklists will be different for long ideas and short ideas, and they may be more nuanced depending on the type of industry. But nonetheless, it's good to have the various boxes that you can check off on based off of a preliminary analysis of important factors. So we've talked about liquidity, and we've talked about leverage or indebtedness. Uh, Another issue to consider is short interest. If the short interest is particularly high, you need to ask yourself why. Sometimes it's because there may be a convertible debt that's there, and there's convertible arbitrage that's going on, where the stock is being shorted by the holders of that convertible debt. Uh, And maybe that's something you're okay with. Though I will say, Usually, companies that take advantage of convertible debt tend to underperform the market as a whole. Uh, so it can be a red flag. But nonetheless, something that's worth looking at, historically, companies that have uh, short interest ratios in excess of 9% tend to significantly underperform the market. Another thing you might look at is what the management uh, insider trading activity looks like. Are they buying stock? Are they selling stock? Often, if you see a pretty significant increase in share sales, that may be a reason to preclude you from going long in a particular stock. Conversely, if you're thinking about it from the short side, uh, if you see that there had been a history of selling stock, but then it stops abruptly for several quarters, you may consider not shorting that stock because that could be a sign. That the insiders are in possession of material non public information like an acquisition that could result in a pretty significant increase in the share price once that is fully discounted. So, that may be another item that can be on that checklist. And
1: these checklist items seem like they might vary in terms of uncertainty. And so, it may be a good practice to really try to put numbers to some of these possibilities wherever you can so that it doesn't start to become the, the Rorschach test where you kind of decide what uh, this looks like in advance. A couple of biases to look out for here, I think anchoring and adjustment is one of the challenges. So if you anchor too much on the current price, we tend to have a hard time adjusting off of our initial impressions. So really trying to put numbers to a lot of these possible future developments can be a very good way to get a handle on that uncertainty. You often are not going to be correct when you assign a probability to something. But the mere act of considering the fact that it may not work out can be very helpful as a bias check.
0: Yeah, typically that, that leads us into something that you should consider when you're looking at a particular issue. Uh, one piece of the checklist that we'll use in our process is uh, to see if there's an underlying commodity or perhaps a macro factor that will disproportionately affect the outcome of the investment. So, for instance, uh, oil and gas investments, we tend to shy away from them on both the long and the short side because a big determinant of the success of those businesses is the price of the underlying commodity. If oil is up, those uh, shares will tend to perform well. If oil is down, then oil and gas related companies, they'll tend to underperform. So it's a much more complicated and difficult assessment to make when you're analyzing something like the price of oil, the global price of oil, and you know what does it mean when the Saudi Arabian production facility gets bombed by the Yemenis or the you know the Iranians? I mean what does that mean in the analysis? What does it mean uh, when China's consumption slows down because they're having a slowing economy? How can you judge how that's going to affect the price of oil? That opens the door for a tremendous amount of bias. Uh, interest rates are another issue now interest rates will more broadly affect almost every company because they can affect the discount rate that's applied to the analysis of the future cash flows. But depending on how you invest, either you have a long-term perspective, you can ignore that, or you have a, uh, a balanced portfolio. You're going to be you know, long-sum names that do well in a rising interest rate environment and long-sum that uh, do poorly. And so maybe there is some offsetting risk there, and that may be incorporated into your process of vetting. You may say that the interest rate sensitivity of my portfolio is at a certain max level, so I add that to my checklist. Is this an interest rate sensitive security? And if so, is there an offsetting position within the portfolio that will mitigate the risk associated with fluctuations in interest rates? You may not care because you may have a long enough time frame uh, that interest rates up or down over time won't necessarily affect your decision.
1: I'd like to speak a little to the value of checklists as a psychological tool. Checklists are excellent for avoiding biases overall. What a checklist forces you to do is uh, essentially go through in a regimented way uh, so that you don't have any obvious blind spots. If you get carried away with sort of that salience bias that we've talked about before where something seems particularly promising, um, you can run the risk of failing to notice an important sort of structural factor that's below the surface. By having a process in place where you uh, force yourself to go through uh, each potential factor, it just fleshes out your mental model a little bit more in a way that uh, gives you a more accurate roadmap. This is particularly important when you're talking about new ideas, which is exactly what uh, you're doing at this process of an investment. You're still deciding whether it's a promising outlook, and uh, when we when we take on new ideas, we in a sense don't have the the backstory, and so checklists kind of help you to uh, force yourself to get a uh, calibrated backstory across a number of different opportunities. Uh, There's also some value from the basic research side for checklists. Um, I'm reminded of some work from Richards Hoyer, who's a uh, rather, uh, he's really a pillar of the intelligence analytics community, and he wrote a book called The Psychology of Intelligence Analysis, in which he deals with within a a different domain, uh, dealing with facts and how they align to projections of the future for uh, national intelligence concerns, Uh, how does one become more objective and less biased? He advocates for checklists and um, what he calls analysis of competing hypotheses. So just entertaining the idea that things may not work out the way you're imagining and not only putting a probability to that, but also acknowledging that There's not certainty, you know, you're not going through this with an absolute um, binary lens of this is definitively going to be something I invest in and it'll work out. You in in some sense want to have the checklist be balanced with uh, ways that the risk is there or things won't work out. So um, the process itself of creating the checklist and running through it will somewhat uh, reduce the natural blind spots that uh, we tend to have with regard to our
0: attention. Yeah, there's really two functions for the checklist. One, uh, as uh, Dan was illustrating, is to create information so that it actually has a, it does have a fundamental research element associated with it, which you'll elaborate on further. But also, of course, it is to preclude various investments. So if you come up and it, it hits one of these factors that you say, I will absolutely not invest in a company that has a short interest ratio in excess of 9% or something of like that neighborhood. If you just have hard and fast rules, and those are nice to some degree because they do help eliminate bias that can be associated with becoming too enamored with the narrative that you develop because it's going to violate some sort of these rules. Another important thing to include in these checklists too is management. It's important to look at the how management is compensated and what their stock ownership looks like. One thing that we typically like to see is we like to see that the management owns at least three times as much stock as they get compensated in one year uh, in terms of value. Because that will signal that you know management is basically not engaged in the endeavor of extracting as much value as they can, or they're less likely to be engaged in the endeavor of extracting as much value as they can from the company, and uh, they're not aligned with shareholders. You want to look for that alignment. And a lot of, we've mentioned insider purchases as also being something that you may look for on the avoidance of too much in the way of, of management selling. Uh, But you can also look at the backgrounds of management and you may say, well, I don't want to invest with a company that recently replaced its CFO. Uh, Or uh, you don't want to invest with a company that has. Uh, a auditor that is not a well-known auditor, it's not one of the big four or, uh, or maybe at least the second tier. If it's an unknown auditor or it's a specific auditor that you want to avoid because you've had bad experience or have seen that they've been associated with companies that were very aggressive in their accounting, that can be another item on this checklist that would preclude you from investing. A lot of times the checklist is going to, it's going to serve really two functions. One is to acquire information, and hopefully in a less biased fashion. And then two is just as a winnowing tool so that you have certain investments that you're just taking off your plate.
1: I'm reminded of our episode on decision fatigue, where you have too many decisions and you start to make less optimal choices. Um, So uh, to summarize, we have talked about how you vet some opportunities Uh, one of the challenges that people have is they get overly attached right out of the gate leading to possible endowment biases. It's important to have a plan, a good way to weed out, uh, unsuccessful or less likely to be successful investments is to go through a checklist. There's no magic formula for that checklist. It'll vary based on industry and opportunity. There are some clear structural and management kinds of factors that one would want to make sure they've thought about. And, um, George mentioned a number of times that there are just rules you can put in place that uh, essentially eliminate a possible investment. Uh, rules-based approaches are excellent in terms of avoiding bias, as long as you don't break your own rules, um, because that eliminates kind of your, uh, your sort of walk down narrative lane where you, you get overly subjective and begin to view things in a, in a, uh, a somewhat uh, distorted way. And so um, you're not done there. There's quite a bit more uh, to do, uh, which we'll focus on in a future episode on uh, doing fundamental research after you've committed to an investment position. So we thank you very much for listening. If you're interested in these topics, be sure to visit the show notes at mentalmodelspodcast.com, where you can find more links to the basic brain physiology. So uh, that's all for now, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitcher. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.